as I was thinking about Father's Day, of course, this week, and the last couple of weeks been leading up to this, on Mother's Day, I got a chance to share with you how we can honor women and honor mothers in our congregation. By the way, if you'd like to hear that sermon, you can take a listen to it on our website. And I was thinking about all the really great dad jokes because, of course, being a dad and now being a grandfather for many years, it seems like, I love these dad jokes like this one. I was reading a book about anti-gravity. I just couldn't put it down. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you see a robbery in an Apple store, does that make you an eyewitness? Get an eye. What, 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 I, I can't really even say these things. Why did the Clydesdale give the pony a glass of water? <clears throat> he was a little hoarse. You're supposed to laugh, not groan. Come on. Why did the invisible man turn down a job? He just couldn't see himself doing it. This is one of my favorites. Did you hear about the big circus fire? It was intense. Yeah. Now dads, they make us groan sometimes, don't they, when they tell us their incredible, hilarious jokes. But dads are an important part uh, of our lives and of our society. Uh, you know, back in the 70s, what churches would do every time there was a Father's Day or Mother's Day, they would have everybody stand up. There was a father, and then they'd have the father that came the longest distance and the shortest distance and the, the oldest father, youngest father, and all that kind of stuff. We did something kind of different on Mother's Day. I want to do that on Father's Day. So here's the, here's the uh, criteria. If you were here today and you had a father, a stepfather, a father-in-law, a grandfather uh, that influenced you, please stand. Almost everybody. Almost, all right, have a seat. Almost everybody. Good job. You see, folks, honoring our fathers is important. And today we're going to talk about honoring fathers, but not just how to honor them, but really some things for fathers. I really want to challenge you, dads, husbands, fathers. I want to challenge you today. Uh, many of you are doing a great job, uh, but I, I think we still need to step up and just keep striving to do better. And for those of you who maybe aren't doing uh, a great job today by what you were going to read here in, in God's Word, I want you to be challenged today to change, to be different, to let God change your life, change your family, and maybe even change your legacy as we see this family doing. So let's talk first, what is the best thing to do for honoring fathers? Well, show honor to our fathers, kind of obvious. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, you may know uh, that this is one of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, in this passage, this word honor is used to describe our response to God also. When the Bible tells us to honor God in certain ways, we need to honor our fathers and mothers in kind of a similar way. Raise them up, lift them up, uh, set them high, give them honor. This is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. But an interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is the first four really deal with mankind's relationship to God. Five through ten deal with man's relationship to one another. And so the very first command, the very first command that God gives mankind on how to deal with each other is this one. Honor your father and your mother. By the way, it's the only commandment that also has a promise. You see there at the end. Uh, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Folks, this is really important. 
If this is the first commandment that God says to mankind on how to deal with one another, it is critically, critically important for us to do. By the way, the Hebrew word that is translated as husband, it actually carries this idea of respecting royalty. So a husband is like the king of his castle. So guys, when you refer to yourself as king of your castle, that's actually biblical. So you can actually say that. Of course, your wife is the queen of the castle too. What it means, folks, is that a man's family should treat him with the same respect and reverence and loyalty that they would treat a king. This is a high standard. It's a very high standard, folks. Now, the Bible also says in many places that you have to obey your parents. But it always says that in the context of living with them. In other words, uh, we are all required to obey our parents until uh, we leave their home and set up our own uh, uh, new home. We have a new family unit. When we do that, we are no longer required to obey our parents. But we never, we never graduate from honoring our parents. As some of you saw on my Facebook this week, I had uh, uh, lunch with my 86-year-old mother, and uh, she's thinking about retiring, and she had a birthday, so we, we had a little birthday lunch. I was, uh, uh, I was really, it was really cool that all the flags were out for her birthday. She's born on June 14th. Uh, I think I was 14 or 15 years old before I realized that you know, she'd told me that they put all the flags out for her birthday. I think I was 14 or 15 before I realized that wasn't really true. So we've had an interesting relationship. But anyway, here's the point, folks. Since I moved out of my mother's and father's house, I no longer have to obey them. But even though she's 86 years old, I still have to honor her. The Bible's very clear on this. I have to honor her for the rest of her life and even past that, in fact. The act of honoring your parents is lifelong. And so I want to encourage you, if you have somehow brought dishonor to your parents, today, apologize if they're still living. Repent and just stop doing it. Start honoring them. Give them the place they deserve. Listen, this is not a, a conditional command. It doesn't say, hey, if your dad was a rock star, you honor him. Man, if he was the best dad on the block, you honor him. No. If your dad was a no beat, you know, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Deadbeat, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a bad drummer, no beat. Okay, uh, <laughs> if your dad was a deadbeat, not show up, whatever, whatever horrible thing your dad was, the Bible still says you have to honor him. Okay, this is not negotiable. You must honor your father and your mother. This is the Lord's command. But let me say this, gentlemen, it's a lot, lot easier for our wives to honor us, for our children to honor us, for our grandchildren to honor us, if we will just be honorable men that deserve honor. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's their requirement to honor us, no matter what we do. But we can make it really easy for them if we just act honorably. And I'm going to share with you four ways that we can be honorable men. Now, these might rub some of you the wrong way. And I, uh, if they uh, do, I, I'm not going to apologize because they're God's word. But uh, just sit on them for a minute. Let them percolate in your mind and your heart. And you might actually um, see the value in them. But the first one is this. Be dependable financial providers. 
Gentlemen, be dependable financial providers. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his, house, for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, folks, this is about the worst ungodly thing you could say about someone in the first century. For the church folks that don't use bad words in the first century, about the worst possible thing you could say is, man, you act just like somebody who doesn't even know Jesus. You act like somebody who has rejected Jesus and wants to do your own thing. It's about the worst thing you could say. And, and here in this verse, we see it in the context of not providing for your family. And this is, verse is talking specifically about finances. Men, we are responsible for our fam family's financial well-being. Now, before you freak out, that doesn't, it's not saying women can't work or women shouldn't work or anything like that. But men should be responsible for the financial well-being of their families. It is a responsibility that as king of the castle, we must take on. We must take it on. Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow, that is harsh, isn't it? Now, it's, you have to be really careful when you're reading God's word to pay attention to the wording. It's not saying if somebody can't work, if somebody is physically disabled, just let them starve to death if they can't hold down a job. No, it's not saying that. What it's saying is if somebody is not willing to work, then you just don't let them eat. But my wife says she really doesn't mind if I don't work. Folks, I don't buy that for one second. If your wife is saying that, she's just saying that because she didn't want to fight with you. Okay? Listen, our culture is shifting. There was a time... Oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I, care, I, I see it coming. There was a time when... when the women's movement meant if a woman's doing the same job that a man is, she should get paid the same. Now, that's just fair, folks. We should all be for that. Nobody should be against that. But like normal, the pendulum begins to swing, and it doesn't stop in the middle. It doesn't stop at the place where it should. It keeps sliding over here. And now we have a culture of people being raised that have virtually no work ethic you may have heard this story about the guy in upstate New York. His parents sued him. He's 30 years old. His parents sued him to kick him out of the house. They had to sue the guy. Now, I thought to myself, well, this can't be the real story. I mean, you know, there has to be some kind of extenuating circumstances. Well, he was in a custody battle because he'd been married and he had a child. And actually, he'd been living with his mommy and daddy for eight years his parents even gave, offered to give him $1,100 to get out of the house. Now, folks, if your parents are offering you over $1,000 to get out, just get out. <laughs> Unless you're 14, of course, okay? <laughs> and then we'll talk to the parents. But, but listen, we're living in this culture now where uh, people just don't want to work. People don't want to work hard. Now, let me just tell you something, guys. And I had to learn this the hard way. I had to learn this the hard way. If you want your wife to experience stability and peace and security, 
get a job and pay your bills. I'm a genius. Listen, guys, uh, this doesn't mean that if your wife is a nuclear physicist and she makes three times the money that you make, even though you're working really hard too, you have to get a part-time job so you make more than her. It's not about the numbers or all that kind of stuff. It's about you participating and you leading the home as a godly leader to provide for your family. Okay? And I... Listen... I know that it's becoming almost kind of cool to be a house husband and stay home with the kids and let your wife work. I, I get that that sounds like it practically works out sometimes, but I have never, ever, ever seen one example where that woman does not begin to just hate her husband, resent her husband. Guys, participate in this. Take care of your families. Be dependable financial providers for your family. Listen, I know there's times when you can't do anything about it. Your company goes out of business. They cut back people, all that kind of stuff. I I understand. So go get a job. And listen, I've been in the situation before where I've lost a job. I went and drove a school bus for several months. I mean, if I believed in purgatory, this would be close. (laughs) I mean, I love kids, but not you know, 60 of them yelling at them, you know, while I'm trying to drive, okay? I, I did that so that we could have insurance because you get it the day that you start. And I did that until I got a good job. I didn't just sit at home and do nothing. So guys, do this. Trust me, your wife will respect you and your family will honor you if you'll do this. Second thing is to provide loving direction, which means discipline for your children. Look at Ephesians 6.4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I think this is probably one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. Here's why. It talks about disciplining your kids and not making them angry in the same exact verse. That's almost like one of those oxymorons, you know? How, How do you do that? Well, here's how you do that, okay? Because I've never seen a child who's happy and excited to be disciplined. Oh, I'm getting another spanking. Yay! You don't, I've never seen that. But listen, even though they won't want to do that and they don't feel like getting disciplined, they should feel loved and accepted in the midst of it. Discipline should always happen in the context of a deep, loving relationship where your children feel safe, they feel loved, they feel valued. And when that situation comes, uh, is in play, and then you have to say, listen, I'm sorry, but i gotta, I got to take this away from you because you've done something you shouldn't be doing. You know that. I have to do this to teach you how to do the right thing. I'm telling you, it's totally different. Totally different. Men, don't frustrate your kids. Don't frustrate your kids. Don't anger your kids. Talk to them. Relate to them. I know we count on our wife to do all that emotional, you know, cuddly stuff. But we've got to have a relationship with our kids. And it has to be a deeper relationship than just doing stuff with them. Okay? You know, back when I was a young man, Disney dads used to be a term that they used for uh, divorced dads who would take their kids and do fun stuff every other weekend when they had them. Now the term is used for dads who live in the home and only interact with their kids when it's time to do something fun. That's nuts. 
Dads, participate. Participate in your kids' lives. Don't leave the discipline up to you, just their mother. Yes, of course, she can do it also, but, but don't leave it up to her. Now, listen, I, I, I run into this. I don't know about you, but when I'm out at Walmart or the grocery store or, or someplace, you know, out in public, and I see kids acting up, and mom's trying to say, you know, mom's there, stop touching that, stop touching that, quit doing that, and dad's just standing there like a bump on a log. And I really want to go up to the guy and go, dude, get involved in your kids' lives. I mean, help this poor lady. Now, that, that sounds kind of funny, but folks, if you think about it, that's exactly what Adam did. If you read carefully the story of Adam and Eve, Eve didn't have this interaction with a serpent and get tempted and give in to sin while Adam was somewhere else in the garden, and then she, she did all that bad stuff, and then she ran over to him and said, hey, Adam, you need to do this too with me. That's not what happened. All of that took place, all of that conversation, all of that temptation, all of that stuff happened, and Adam was standing right there. Read it carefully. Adam was standing right there and did nothing. Guys, God has created us to be initiators, and he's created our wives to be responders. You know why she has to initiate so much stuff? because we stand there like bumps on a log. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be an initiator, especially in this area of discipline. Discipline your kids in love. And I'm not talking about abusing children. You, you, hopefully you know that. I'm talking about disciplining children so they'll know the right thing to do. Look what it says in Proverbs 13, 24. By the way, if you're against corporal punishment or you're against discipline in any way, shape, or form, man, take a look at God's word. Here's what it says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So what it's saying there is diligent discipline equals love. Sparing the rod or refusing to discipline your children equals hatred. If you refuse to teach your children not to do the wrong things, you're hating them. Now listen, I know there's, there's not a single parent in here who probably feels like they hate their children. But sometimes we act like it when we are too embarrassed to discipline them or it's too hard or, wow, I've just been, listen, I've been there. I've been saying, you know, telling them all day not to do this, not to do this, not to do this. And we had one child that did this and we told her not to do that and she started doing this. We told her not to do that and she started doing this and, and it was just all day. But folks, you can't get tired. You can't get tired. Your kid's future is at stake. Discipline should not be left to mom's. Mom should be a connected representative with dad, but dads, you should lead in the area of discipline, and it should always happen in the context of a loving relationship. If you want to be honored in your homes, you must discipline your children. Third, be spiritual guides. Look at Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, I want to remind you that this comes in the book of Proverbs, not the book of Promises. I hear this taught sometimes as a promise from God. If you will uh, do the right thing for your kids, uh, they'll turn out wonderful all the time. It's a promise from God. No, it's not. Proverbs, Proverbs mean uh, that generally speaking, in most circumstances, this will take place. This is a principle that generally works out. 
So there may be a family of, you know, two parents who parent all three children the same. The oldest one and the youngest one turn out just great. And the middle one, for whatever reason, decides to go his own way and mess up his life and live totally contrary to the rest of the family. That's not the parent's fault. And if you're here and you've got a wayward child that you're praying for, doesn't mean that you messed up and you didn't do anything right. Because at the end of the day, folks, when we get to be about 17, 18, 19, 20, we decide for ourselves how our life is going to go. But what this is saying is if you'll ingrain in them early the way they should go, you know what happens when they start messing up their life? They'll come back. They'll come back. But this, this, this passage where it says train up, that, that means kind of like training up a, a, an Olympic athlete. If you want your child uh, to be an Olympic athlete when they're 17, you don't decide that when they're 16 and a half. It's too late. You decide that when they're three or four. Because you've got to give them the training. They've got to start participating. They've got to start learning. Gentlemen, I want to challenge you to teach your children more about God and how to live for him than any other one thing. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But listen, men, teach your sons more about God than sports or hunting, or fishing. I'm not against any of those things. You want to take your kid to a ball game? Great. You want to take him out for the weekend and go fishing? Super. But if they turn 18 and you've spent 10,000 hours fishing with them and 27 hours talking to them about being a godly man, you've failed miserably. We are training up our children to be Olympic athletes in life teaching our children to know and love God and live for him the rest of their lives. Gentlemen, do you teach your daughters more about God than those goofy, evil boys that are going to come around? I know you talk about that a lot, and you should. But you need to teach your daughters how to know and love God. And by the way, guys, our children will get the majority of their view of who God is from their relationship with us. Now, I know that is a lot of pressure. I'm sorry. It just is. For instance, when, when children have a dad who's absent, they struggle with trusting God the rest of their lives. Oh, they may learn to do it to some degree, but they struggle deeply with how do I, how do I trust God to really be there for me when I need him? They'll struggle with that the rest of their lives. If, if a father has been a tyrant and he's been an angry uh, punisher where he, he punishes his children instead of disciplining his children, those people will grow up to be people that are always worried about, you know, God's this terrible meanie in the sky who's looking to strike me down with a lightning bolt if I get a little bit out of line. And they're afraid of God. And they don't have a healthy relationship. Guys, we, listen, what that means is we have to be God to our children in some ways. We have to represent God to our children. That's a, that's a tall order. Tall order, but we've got to do it. And the way you do it is to give your life to Jesus and get involved in a church that will help you, encourage you, and help you be discipled and grow to become more like Jesus. We have to be spiritual guides. Fourth, we have to model godliness to leave a legacy. The reality is, it's important for us to teach our children, to tell our children, but you know what? They learn a lot more from what they see than what they hear. They're going to struggle because of the things that we have modeled for them more than the things that we haven't told them. 
when I do couples counseling, whether it be premarital counseling or marital counseling, most of the time, the things that we talk about are what was the home like you were raised in? What was the home you were like raised in? And when they're totally opposite, we've got to get these two sinful people now together into this relationship who deal with issues totally and completely different, neither one healthy, and we've got to figure out how to do this. Man, is that messed up. That's chaos. Now, it can be done with God's help, but it's chaos. Listen, folks. Julie and I know that we're not perfect parents, but we, we took seriously trying to model for our children how to be because we know that they pick up on stuff. They pick up on stuff. I can read a book about how to take an engine apart and put it back together, but I won't be able to do it. But if I watch somebody do it three or four times, stood by them, watched every single thing they do, I'll bet I could probably handle most of it. It's the same way in life. Guys, we have to do that. And so the last thing I want you to see is to, oh, sorry, model godliness to leave a legacy. I want you to look at these two examples in First and Second Kings. I want you to pay attention to the difference between these two kings and forgive all the pronunciation of all the goofy words, the goofy names, okay? Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Now look at 2 Kings 15, verses 1 through 3, a different king. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So what you see is both of these men do what was modeled by their fathers. One was evil and sinful and he brought sin to the whole nation of Israel. The other had a godly father who taught him how to be a godly man, who modeled it for him. And he did the same thing his father did. Guys, you can't go back and undo what your dad has done to us, what our fathers have messed up for us. We can't go back and change that, but what we can do is change the future. In fact, we can't even uh, go back and undo the mistakes we've made, but we can change the future. Both of these men did the things they learned from their fathers, one good, one evil. We are setting our kids and our grandkids up for success or for failure by how we model for them. And listen, if, if you, you know, hear that and you feel like, man, I've just been a failure, okay, go home today on Father's Day, just apologize, repent, and ask for God's help to change. Be different. If you're winning, don't lose heart. Keep going. Don't let up. Don't become complacent. Your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children their eternities and their lives are at stake. The last thing I want to share with you today is this. Be loving servant leaders like Jesus. Look at Mark 10, 45. The Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, if anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But he didn't come to do that. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. Guys, if you want to be honored by your wife, honored by your family, honored by your children and your grandchildren, you serve them. 
This isn't about us being the king and you know, me going home today after lunch and plopping down in the chair and starting barking orders to get my Diet Pepsi, get my slippers. I'm the king. It's not that at all. It's if I want to be king, I have to become the greatest servant. Be loving, serving leaders like Jesus. Jesus was always the leader because he was always the servant. Do your wife and kids feel like you serve them well? Well, if you don't know, ask them. And then ladies, don't be too kind to us. Give us the straight deal, okay? If we're asking, am I really being a good servant? Ask. Sometimes my wife says yes. Sometimes she's like, eh, you're kind of getting lackadaisical around the house lately. And she's right. And I got to pick it up, okay? The last verse I want you to see today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Here's what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I know this goes for all of us in every relationship in life. But, folks, this is a key part. This is a key part to dads, you becoming honorable in your home. This is key to you becoming honorable in your home. Now, I don't do this perfectly, but I will tell you I am driven. I am driven to do this well to do this better. My, one of my goals in life, and I know I don't think like anybody else in the room, but you know, one of my goals is to just be on my deathbed and have my grandson standing around me saying, Papa, we'll take it from here. We'll keep serving Jesus from here. We'll teach our kids and our grandkids like you taught us. Man, I want that so bad. So bad. Guys, I want you to come with me. I want you to do that with me. I want that to be something that drives you. Don't just play games with your kids and do fun stuff. Teach them how to do life. They will forever love and respect you. Jesus was the model for this. And today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we finish our service. We have two stations here. We're going to ask you here in a minute to come and, and do the Lord's Supper. But as you do this today, I want you to think, dads, I want you to think, i got to learn to be a servant to my family like Jesus was a servant to me, to the point of death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his father. He said, God, if there's any other way to do this, I don't want to go to the cross. If there's any other way to do this, I want to hear about it. But there wasn't. So he just did it. Guys, there are times when, in my meek little thinking, I think, wow. Got to mow the lawn again. God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to do this, but there just isn't. So I have to serve my wife, and I go and do it. Listen, I want you to have that mindset, and I want you to be reminded by taking the Lord's Supper that we need to be the kind of servants to our families as Jesus was to us when he gave his life for us. We invite anybody who has given their life to Christ to participate with us. What we mean by that is, if you uh, have come to the place where you understand that you are a sinner, that you couldn't do anything uh, to you know, mitigate or minimize your sin yourself, and you saw that Jesus on the cross died to pay for your sins, and you put your faith and trust in that and that alone to save you and forgive you of your sins, we call that the gospel. 
If you believe in the gospel, you are invited to participate with us today in this Lord's Supper. Uh, one other thing that we're going to do today that's a little bit different is, guys, I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually model, model serving. So when the music starts after I pray, and you can come up and take the Lord's Supper, guys, if you're here with your wife or your children or both, I want you to come up and get the Lord's Supper for all of them, and you go back and you serve them. Do that today to start modeling for them that you are going to serve them. If you're here, you're a single parent or, or you're a single person or you're a woman here who doesn't have your husband here or he's serving in other ministries or whatever um, and he's not here, uh, just come up and, and do the Lord's Supper like we normally do, okay? Uh, but when the music starts, we want to offer you the chance to come up and do the Lord's Supper and um, men, serve your families. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for what, you did for us by sending your son Jesus to die for us. God, forgive us where we take that for granted, where we are complacent, where we choose our own way instead of yours. God, help us as men in this room learn to be great servants to our families, like Jesus was a servant to us. Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat this. Do this to remember me. We also thank you for the juice, for the representation it is of Jesus' blood. He took the cup and passed it to the disciples, and, and when he said, listen, this is a new covenant that's sealed in my blood, do this to remember me. Father, as we do this today, we remember what Jesus did for us, and we are thankful. God, help us, help us to never get over this. Help us to never... Get over how much you love us and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.